0: Today's scripture reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 and chapter 22 verses 1 through 5 and verses 13 through 17. This is what the Lord says, the wise person should not boast in his wisdom, the strong should not boast in his strength, the wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. This is what the Lord says. Go down to the palace of the king of Judah and announce this word there. You are to say, hear the word of the Lord. King of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David, you, your officers, and your people who enter these gates. This is what the Lord says. Administer justice and righteousness. Rescue the victim of robbery from his oppressor. Don't exploit or brutalize the resident alien, the fatherless, or the widow. Don't shed innocent blood in this place. For if you conscientiously carry out this word, then kings sitting on David's throne will enter through the gates of this palace, riding on chariots and horses, they, their officers, and their people. But if you do not obey these words, then I swear by myself, this is the Lord's declaration, that this house will become a ruin. Woe for the one who builds his palace through unrighteousness, his upstairs rooms through injustice who makes his neighbor serve without pay and will not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a massive palace with spacious upstairs rooms. He will cut windows in it, and it will be paneled with cedar and painted bright red. Are you a king because you excel in cedar? Didn't your father eat and drink and administer justice and righteousness? Then it went well with him. He took up the case of the poor and needy, Then it went well. Is this not what it means to know me? This is the Lord's declaration. But you have eyes and a heart for nothing except your own dishonest prophet, shedding innocent blood and committing extortion and oppression. The word of the Lord.
1: I have a number of things I'd like to share, but I might have to break them up. We'll see how much we can get through. This is... The word of the Lord from the prophet Jeremiah. We've been looking at the prophets together in this series that I'm calling God of Justice. It's not common that we spend a lot of time reading the prophets. And as I've shared before, maybe a part of the reason is because they get up in our face and say hard things that are hard for us to hear. And this text is no exception. I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, and at home if you have a Bible here, have your app or your actual physical Bible ready, because I want to point to a number of places that we just heard read. So for the season of Lent, our sermon series is focused on the outward discipline of Lent, works of mercy and justice. The title of this series is God of Justice. And... For the third week in a row, I want to share the premise of this series. You've heard me say this before, but this is the premise. There is no true justice without Jesus. And there is no true Jesus without justice. For those of you here, for those of you online who are concerned about issues of justice in our community, in our world today, I hope to show you that true and comprehensive justice is found in Jesus alone for those of you who are here today or following us online who are convinced about Jesus I hope to convince you about justice how the true Jesus of scripture requires and leads us into lives of justice and what this looks like for us today each week we've been looking at different places in scripture mainly the prophets the prophets love the word justice The word justice has become a bit of a controversial word for us today, and maybe that's understandable as we think about how we apply the call to justice. What should we do? What does that look like in our particular context and country? Not easy. But for the Christian, the word justice should not be controversial. The concept and the importance of justice should not be a matter of controversy at all. Every Christian should be able to say, and hopefully by the end of this series, you'll be more able to say, I can tell you what a definition of justice is based on scripture. And even more than that, I can point you to what that looks like in the life of my church community. Now, I want to start this message off with something that they don't teach you in preaching school because it sounds really boring uh, to say, I'm going to start this message off with some definitions. It's like a teacher would say, don't start your class off and say, all right, class, here we go. Pull out the dictionary and turn to page 620 or whatever. But we're going to do it because maybe you've noticed this throughout this series. When the word justice appears, it almost always appears in combination with another word. And that's true in all the instances we just read in the prophet Jeremiah. Justice and, what's the other word that's often with it? I didn't hear anybody. Mercy is one. Another one? Somebody probably said, I just can't hear behind the mass. Grace, love, justice, and righteousness. They happen According to one count, together, 284 times in the Bible. That is a lot. I will never forget the time when I heard a definition of righteousness that stuck with me. There's not a lot of moments I remember vividly from seminary, but I remember this. My professor, Bruce Waltke, one of the smartest people in the world, he wrote the giant Hebrew textbook that is still used across the board today in learning Hebrew. And he said, all right, guys, I want to tell you what the definition of righteousness is. And he said, practically, what is it? It means this. The righteous person is the one who disadvantages themselves to advantage the community. And the opposite, the unrighteous or wicked person, will advantage themselves at the expense of the community. Now, I remember being blown away by that. I said, I've never thought about it like that. That makes it very practical, very down-to-earth. Think about reading Scripture through that lens. Every time the word righteous appears, the righteous person disadvantages themselves for the advantage of the community. The unrighteous person will advantage themselves at the expense of the community. So we pull these definitions together. Justice is giving others their due as image bearers of God, whatever that looks like. And justice, as we saw last week, means also setting wrongs right, giving people their due, setting wrongs right when that isn't happening. And we put uh, righteousness together with that, meaning, how does that happen? It means most often, disadvantaging myself in order that I might advantage others. And here's the point for this morning. Jeremiah says, this is knowing God. Let's look at that together. There are four things I want to look at. I might save the fourth for the end of the service, so we'll see how it goes. First, what Jeremiah says about the responsibility for this kind of life of justice. What God says here through Jeremiah, on one level it's for everyone. It's the word of God. It's his prophetic word. What he says has application to any person in any circumstance. God holds every human being accountable to justice and righteousness, no matter what their social situation or context. But if we look closer, and I want you to look with me at the context here, we see Jeremiah's words are especially targeted to a certain group of people who have what I will call a special responsibility for justice. Who are these people? Look at Jeremiah 9, 23. Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says to a specific group of people. Who are they? The wise person, the strong person. The wealthy person, those who are educated, successful, well-off, affluent people. And then in Jeremiah 22, God says, Jeremiah, I want you to go bring my word to another specific group of people. Say, hear the word of the Lord. Who? The king of Judah. Not just the king, but his officers, says his people, and all those who enter the city gates. At the time, the city gates were all those who had influence and power, gathered to make decisions and to lead the city, so it's not just the king but others who had influence, success, and power jeremiah twenty two verse fourteen God says, Say this to the one who says, 'I will build myself a massive palace with spacious upstairs rooms with new windows panelled cedar, which was the most expensive wood at the time. I'm going to paint it red. I don't know who wants their house painted red, but at the time <laughs> This was the most gaudy and showy way to show off your wealth. These are the people that have special responsibility. The word is targeted to them. So, friends, one of the most important things we can do as a part of this series is to determine, to know whether we are a part of that special group or not that has special responsibility to do justice. If you're at home, we're gonna flash that question up on the screen and the slide. Am I one of these people? Well, let me help you decide. If you can think about doing home improvement projects, if you have a good education, if you have a degree or advanced degrees, if you have a measure of success or comfort, if you have more than enough resources and money to live and get by in life, if you have access to influence, if you have options in life, then the answer is you are one of these people. If you are a Christian who fits this description, if we're a church who has these kinds of resources listed here, then we have special responsibility to do justice and righteousness in our neighborhoods and in our community. So let me just cut it to the chase here for everyone. Almost Every single one of us here, and those of you who are listening online, we are one of these people. This passage is for us. We have a special responsibility, and God says there's great blessing and well-being as we live into this responsibility, and he says, on the other hand, with a sober warning, there is woe and ruin to those who have this responsibility and who do not carry it out. Before I move to the next point, I just want to point out something. Before we move into governmental roles and policy and then all these debates that go with that, which are important and we're responsible to think about that and act. With this special responsibility to do justice, look at verse 3, chapter 22. We need to make sure we, we hear this. This special responsibility is not limited to one single issue. This is a broad and comprehensive responsibility. God says in 22.3, you need to pay attention to those who are being robbed economically, economic justice for the poor. He says you also need to look out for those oppressed groups. Do not brutalize or exploit the alien among you, the widows and the orphan. So this responsibility extends to oppressed groups based on race, gender, kids. He also says, don't shed innocent life in this place. This responsibility extends to all life, the right of life to all, the unborn, to the oldest and the most vulnerable. All the issues. God says, you have a special responsibility. So let's just let that sink in a little bit. But there's more here we need to see. Not only is there responsibility for justice, God gives a reason for doing justice here in Jeremiah. And these passages are two of the most important passages in the Bible about justice. So if we care about the controversies, we care about any of those issues, and we care about what Jesus has to say, these are central texts because they give a concise and clear definition, an answer to the question of why. Why should we do justice? What is the basis and the grounds for justice? And the answer is much deeper, it's much more challenging than just saying, well God says it, he commands it, it's our duty. Let me focus on two verses in particular. First, Jeremiah 9:24. Look at that again. The one who boasts should boast in this that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord showing faithful love, justice and righteousness on the earth for i delight in these things now listen god is saying to know me is to know what i delight in and i delight in justice let me see if i can illustrate what's being said here my wife amelia is a runner and she loves to run she's loved to run even before i met her she ran in college and you might say well why why does she run if you hate running like I hate running, why do you run? Well, it's because she likes it. She delights in it. Now, can you imagine if after 20 years of being married, one day we're sitting in conversation and with all seriousness, in a deadpan way, she says, I'm going to go on a run. I'm going to maybe do a five-mile run. I say, why? Run? Why would you do that? <laughs> it's, it's the worst thing. It's, why would you run? And she says, no, I've always run. I love to run. What? You like to Run? Since when? Now, if, if that was a serious moment, she would either, either say, what is happening with you? Has your memory been wiped? We need to take it to the ER. Or she would say, if you're being serious right now, you don't know me. If you don't know I delight in running, you don't know me. And that is what God is saying here about justice. If you don't know I delight in justice, you don't know me chapter 22 verses 15 and 16 take it an even deeper level God is talking about Josiah who was a good king in the history of kings in Judah and he says this in verse 15 uh, to one of Josiah's um, descendants didn't your father eat and drink and administer justice and righteousness then it went well with him he took up the case of the poor and the needy and here it is is this not what it means to know me? This is the Lord's declaration. This is so clear that it is shocking. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, Is this not to know me? What? What is knowing God? Doing righteousness and justice. Taking up the cause of the poor and needy. This is to know God. That's the sermon title for today. Knowing God, equal sign, doing justice. It's right here in Jeremiah 22:16. And knowing here is not referring to theology, knowing about God, or even knowing a lot about what the Bible says. To know God is to be in relationship with him. This is a relational term. A sign that a relationship is close. If I can use my marriage one more time as, as an illustration, is when you start to delight and do the things that your spouse delights in and does, even if you had no interest in those before you were married. For me, it's delighting, sorry everybody, in the Los Angeles Lakers. I wasn't a fan, not at all. I grew up in Florida, born in Chicago, not a fan, but my wife, huge fan. And now I do delight in the L.A. Lakers and cheering for them. And that's a sign of a clo- the closeness of our relationship. And just the other day, I delight in mountain biking. And Amelia, my wife, said, I will, I will go on a ride with you. And she had fun. And that's, that's the sign of the closeness of a relationship. When you begin to delight in the things that the other loves, that's a sign of your relationship and the oneness and the closeness and the love you have. That's what's happening here between us in God and his love for justice. Two of the commentaries I read this week by two of the most respected Old Testament scholars, I don't know if they read each other's books, but they said the exact same thing about this verse. They said, this is one of the most remarkable verses in all the Bible. Why is it so remarkable? Because it's how how clear it is, how clear the equal sign is. Knowing God equals doing justice. It's remarkable, it's shocking, it's amazing. Doing the justice described here, economic justice, social justice for the disadvantaged, not shedding innocent blood, guarding the precious life of all people. This is what knowing God looks like. And this is a remarkable challenge for us, for anyone who says, I want to know God. But who says, I'm not interested in these issues of justice, or avoiding it, or always skeptical about it, unwilling to see it. Jeremiah says, then you don't know God. And nothing is more challenging than that for those of us who say, I want to know him. But there's another side to this as well that is also challenging, also remarkable. It's for those who say they want justice, but don't want God. Jeremiah is saying, if you don't have God, you can't have justice. Or more precisely, he's saying, you don't have a reason for justice. And don't we need a very strong reason To call for justice because the entire history of the world could be narrated and told as a story of injustice. Those who have, oppressing those who don't have. The wealthy, trampling upon the poor. We can look all over our world today and throughout world history. We need a strong reason why that shouldn't be. And to call those who do have the special responsibility to do justice. Now, what I'm not saying is that people who don't believe in God, who aren't Christians, don't do justice. They do in amazing ways, sometimes better than we do as Christians. But the call for justice and human rights and the equal dignity of all people, giving people their due, setting things right, racially, economically, socially, it needs a reason, it needs to be strong, it needs to be logical, it needs to be coherent and compelling to do something about the plight of the disadvantaged. Now, let me illustrate this. Um, I share an office now with, you know, with our staff, and one of our staff who's running our live stream right now is a very passionate, intelligent philosophy student, and so often he's coming into my my office and telling me the latest insight he's getting from some philosopher, and it's very sharpening, and it's very enlightening, and this week he was telling me all about uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, who I've read a little bit about, understand a little bit about, but Nietzsche lived... uh, but the, the 19th century right end of the 19th century and he is considered the prophet of postmodernism or the post truth culture that we find ourselves living in now and what he said was guys let's just be honest if we leave behind god we leave behind absolute moral, moral truth we leave behind a reason for justice a compelling logical reason for human rights and dignity Many philosophers, secular philosophers, have admitted this, that survival of the fittest, which is all about advantaging yourself at the expense of the disadvantaged, does not lead to justice for all. It cannot logically lead to that. And so the scriptures are saying there is a reason for justice, a reason that we all Long for who care about justice is the very character, the heart, and the delight of God. So, coming back to the equation, the solid reason for doing justice challenges people who say they know the God of the Bible, but have been indifferent or at worst perpetrators of injustice. And this is undeniable, it's happened, it's tragic. But according to Jeremiah, there is reason to think when this happens. They or we may know about God, but maybe do not know God. For people who are passionate about justice but want to leave behind God, end up leaving behind the only logical and binding reason for justice. Now, this is convicting. This responsibility we have, this reason, the way God gives this reason, is convicting and it's challenging. And some of you might be saying, I'm already convinced. I'm already challenged. It's been the third week in a row that we've heard about this. But the truth is we need more than a logical reason. We need more than to be told we have the special responsibility. We need a compelling motivation. How does this happen? How does knowing God lead us to doing justice, to being righteous? Well, Jeremiah 9 also tells us how this happens. I want you to look at that again with me. There in Jeremiah 22 and 23, we have two alternative views of life laid side by side. One life view is represented by the triad of boasting in wisdom, strength, and wealth, education, success, riches. The other view is characterized by another triad, faithful love, justice, and righteousness. Jeremiah says that's a life of boasting in the Lord. These two life views are presented as being in opposition to one another. If you're boasting in your wisdom, strength, and wealth, you will not live a life of justice. Now, why not? Why is that? Well, what does it mean to boast? What is he saying? What is boasting? Jeremiah is saying boasting is more than saying, like, hey, I'm going, I'm going to beat you, like kind of the boasting we might do as an athlete or, you know, in, in a test, I'm going to get a score better than you on this test. He's getting beneath that. This, just this morning, I saw a great boast come out by an L.A. Dodgers pitcher. I know we have Dodgers fans here, too. Trevor Bauer, he just taunted the San Diego Padres. Yesterday, I guess he was pitching with one eye closed, and he was like, hey, guys, if, if you can't score off me with one eye closed, then you have no chance of scoring off me with two eyes open. That's a pretty good boast. I wasn't really a fan of Trevor Bauer, but that's a good boast. That adds a lot of intrigue to the series. But what's going on beneath that is what Jeremiah is getting at. Why would a pitcher say that? It's because he's so confident in his ability as a pitcher. Jeremiah is getting deep down into, into our hearts. A boast. The way Jeremiah is using it is. Where do we get our confidence for living? Where do we get our confidence for going out into the world? For living our lives? What do we draw from? What do we look to? Our boast is the source of our confidence in life. And here is the connection to justice and mercy. Here's how it works. If my confidence, if what I draw from is my wisdom, my strength, my abilities, my wealth, my resources, then if I succeed, if I have more than other people, if I have more advantages than other people, then I say, why is that? (laughs) Well, it's because of my wisdom. It's because of my strength. It's because of my resources. If this is my inner source of confidence, when I encounter somebody who is poor, oppressed, and marginalized, what will be my reaction? We might not say it, but we will think it. Well, maybe they're just not strong enough, wise enough, or resourceful enough like me. I earn my place, I earn my position and privilege, and my things. so should they. This life view, this tendency to boast like this, is especially ingrained in the people Jeremiah was saying, you have a special responsibility to do justice. We might call those with with a middle class spirit, the middle and upper class spirit, This boasting, to boast in education, to boast in our strength and our success, this is how most of us were taught to live since we were very young. Just try hard enough, work hard enough, and you can earn the life you want. And then you can enjoy it for yourself, right? This kind of boasting, it can't be dealt with by guilt. It won't work to say, stop doing that. There are poor people out there can't even be dealt with by reason alone, by the force of logic. Christianity says it can only be dealt with and broken by grace. We read it earlier, but in Ephesians chapter 2, a well-known passage, Paul says, It is by grace you've been saved, not by works, so that no one would boast. The goal of grace, the goal of salvation The goal of Christianity here, as summarized in this nutshell, is that no one would boast. Further, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we can put this up on the screen for those at home, the Apostle Paul is looking back to Jeremiah, to Jeremiah 9, this very passage, and he says this to the church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective, Not many powerful, not many of noble birth, same triad as Jeremiah. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's talking about Jeremiah 9. Paul is saying here something very radical to those who have that middle-class spirit who say, I've earned my way, it's my strength. It's my wisdom. It's my resources. Paul says, to those who are wise and powerful and noble, what I thought were my greatest advantages, I see now they were my greatest disadvantages to knowing God. Paul says we first have to be broken of boasting in order to even be saved to know God. That what I thought was something is really nothing. What I thought made me something is nothing because everything and anything that I am and that I have says is in Jesus Christ. And so it is grace alone, the heart of Christianity, that puts us all in the same place. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit who have nothing to boast of. Those who are poor in spirit will be able to see and move into the lives of those who are poor physically and socially. My first experience in ministry where God started to teach me something of this uh, was actually the very first experience in ministry I ever had, to just share personally a little bit. Um, I was a high school graduate, just graduated high school, freshman in college. I was very boastful about all these things Jeremiah is talking about. And I spent two summers in the inner city in Jacksonville, Florida, where I grew up, and at the time, probably still so, Jacksonville was really divided town, a divided city. There were um, the African com- uh, African-American community in one part of the city, and then the non-black, non-African-American community in the other part of the city. So I was working in a summer camp there in uh, the inner city amongst predominantly black community. And early on I sat down with the founder of this ministry and I remember saying to her very boastfully, You know what? I think it's just all about personal responsibility. If everybody just gets, you know, maybe just a little bit of help, but kind of takes ownership for what they need to do, then these problems in this community would be fixed. And she very lovingly listened to me and just nodded and said, Okay. Oh, that's interesting that you think that. So I spent two two summers about 12 to 15 weeks total, back-to-back, two years. And as time went on, I realized something, that most of what I had boasted in had nothing to do with me. Most of what I boasted in, you know, the parents I had, the school I went to, where I grew up, everything that many of these kids didn't have, had nothing to do with me the time I was born in, where I grew up in, the background and the history of my parents. And so I started to think about it like this. Would I boast in a race, if I was in a race with somebody else, and they started 100 yards behind me, and I look back and go, I'm going to win, aha, uh-huh, yeah, it's, I'm going to beat you? <laughs> that would be ridiculous I've got a 100-yard head start. And when I get to the finish line of that race and look at that person and go, I'm the better runner. Obviously, I won and I beat you because I'm I'm more awesome than you. Again, ridiculous. I had the head start and it had nothing to do with me. Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians, the gospel is meant to open up our eyes so that we realize what he says here in 1 Corinthians. It is from him. 1 Corinthians one thirty. It is from Him. My salvation is from Him. But everything I have is from Him. Everything that I would boast in is from Him. Where I was born, when I was born, my natural aptitudes, the family I'm born into, the access to education, resources, and health, all the things that are important for our, my well being. We could go on and on. It's a gift. And God is saying here, not that these things are bad, that's not what Jeremiah is saying. Wisdom, strength, wealth, he doesn't say those are bad. He says to boast in them will lead you away from the Lord and away from justice. But the gospel frees us to see maybe the wisdom and the strength and the wealth we have that have been given to us by God. Maybe God is saying, I gave these things to you, not because you earned it or deserved it more than anybody else. I gave you the measure you have in order that... You might know my delight in sharing these with others, in taking from what you have in order to advantage others. That's why you have it. It is from him. Now that's plenty for us to think about, friends. I have some thoughts I'm going to share more practically later on, towards the end of our time together. But Jeremiah, Paul, 1 Corinthians, they say this, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And the one who boasts like that will begin to delight in what God himself delights in. Let's pray together. Father, we hear it. It's our special responsibility for almost all of us here. It convicts us. And I pray your word, in Jeremiah and throughout this series would sink deep into our hearts, not only convincing us, it's a word for us, but freeing us, setting us free from boasts that make us prideful, put up walls between us and those who are needy. So may you do a fresh work of grace in our hearts as we remember that nothing that counts is from us but it is from you. May that not only lead us to great humility and brokenness, but to great joy and boasting and delight in you, the kind of delight that will move us out to serve, to disadvantage ourselves for the well-being of others. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.